values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. We got to talk about uh, the border issue. It's a continuing topic on the show, and we are going to continue to highlight what's happening at the border because I believe it's a necessary conversation for the nation. Um, and I believe that we also have to start clarify or continue to clarify our stance on things so that we are not misunderstood, but we are clear in our intent. And, and I've always tried to do that. Um, and when it comes to the border, I have a mixture because I am a strong border hawk in the sense that I don't believe that we can continue with the way we are going and allowing people to cross into our country illegally. I think it's bad for our country. It's bad for the countries these people are coming from. It's bad for the people that are coming. And the only people that are benefiting are the cartels that are bringing people here. I will stand by that with evidence that I think is crystal clear. The other side of this is it also clouds the immigration issue. Here's what I mean by that. I believe and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I've been wrong a number of times, but sometimes you're a, you're a victim of your circumstances or surroundings. The people that I know, and I'm talking about staunch Republicans on many, many issues, are thrilled with legal immigration like I am. Meaning we admire people that come to this country the right way. We love the stories of the first generation success in living the American dream. I know so many of them firsthand. They are some of my favorite people. I'll go a step further. I will even say that I believe that it will be immigrants that save this country because an immigrant coming here comes from a place in a different perspective than most of us have. Even if we've traveled somewhere around the world, we've never lived under a government like this around the world. The idea of what's happening in Iran right now, the protests in the streets where it's not just about telling people you can't protest. It's about killing people. It's about imprisoning people for decades. The president of Cuba just said that they will not tolerate unjust protests on that island of Cuba. That's foreign to Americans. We don't understand that. How important the First Amendment to us sometimes is, we end up looking kind of like the Kardashians in the sense that when we talk about the First Amendment, we talk about we should be allowed to post stuff on social media and not have it taken down. I'm not saying it's not an issue. It's not the same as getting killed for protesting in the streets or being thrown in jail in Cuba because you protest against the government. It's a different view of the First Amendment that they bring to this country. So on many levels, I believe immigrants will save this country. Now, there are those that disagree. I know I, I, I don't – nothing is 100 percent, but that's my feeling about it. Having been around enough immigrants that have become staunch supporters of the First Amendment or the Second Amendment and making sure that everybody has an opportunity, that it's not about equal outcomes. It's not about promising fairness. You know who hates the word fair? Immigrants because that's all they heard when their countries turned to socialism and communism, all in the interest of fairness. From Venezuela to Cuba uh, to the Soviet Union to Russia now, these countries – have been promised fairness and they don't get it. Nothing is fair. You still have the haves and the have nots. And believe it or not, like in Russia, you know, the oligarchs and all of the, the wealthy, they are the ones that have everything and the people have nothing. You look at the government in Cuba and look at what happens there. The government has everything and they control everything. Everybody's going to have power. You shouldn't have to worry about paying a power bill. Electricity should be a right. 
and you get power shut off at night because you've used too much. Laws in that country of Cuba don't allow people to have certain creature comforts for a very, very, very long time. Microwaves, hair dryers, things of that nature. Why? Because the government was providing the power, and if you were using those uh, those items, you were then using more power than they thought was necessary. These are all true stories. Running water on opposite sides of the street every other day. No one used their bathtubs in Cuba. Why? Because on the day you had water, you filled it to the very top, and that's the water you use the next day for cooking and cleaning and bathing. All true stories. So I believe immigrants are going to save this country. But the illegal immigration being mixed in and everybody being called a migrant clouds that issue, and it turns people off to legal immigration. We've talked about fentanyl at the border. Seventy percent of the nation's fentanyl comes through Arizona. How about this? A nexus to terrorism. Illegals flagged as potential national security risks soared nearly 600% last year. So as word has gotten out around the world that it's easy to cross into the U.S., whether you uh, are stopped by people in Border Patrol, Border Protection, CBP, or ICE, or you get around them, it's easy to get into America. So while a group of people seeking asylum cross the border into Yuma, let's use Yuma as an example, they cross into Yuma and they sit along the American side of the border fence, whatever you know structure is there, and they wait for federal agents as they claim asylum and start walking through the process of asylum. While the people that work for border protection, uh, Homeland Security, are – Processing those people, the ones that know they're never going to try get in legally or come in through this process of asylum seeking are sneaking in another way. And we all are aware of this. That's how the drugs are getting in. That's how other things are getting in. So we have got to maintain, in my opinion, we have got to maintain a strong border presence so we can keep track of who's coming and going. I don't think that everybody coming across the border legally or otherwise, is a drug dealer, nor do I think they're a cartel member, nor do I think they're all terrorists. That's not at all what I'm saying, and if that's the interpretation, you are hearing what you want to hear. I'm saying those elements are mixed in, and we don't know who is who, and that's dangerous for this country. According to this, of the total, 60% of the illegal immigrants were from Turkey, a country where Islamic State and other foreign terrorist organizations are known to operate. Border Patrol saw a 600% increase in fiscal year 2022 when the number of illegal migrants flagged for special interest over national security concerns, according to um, the internal memos from Customs and Border Protection data exclusively obtained by this uh, Daily Caller website. A special interest migrant is someone who is isn't a U.S. citizen who frequently travels in areas designated as national security concerns due to terrorist activity and other types of nefarious activity. So we are not doing a job, the job or the federal government is not doing the job of protecting the American citizens. They are not doing a good job of this. And anyone who believes that they are is wrong. The argument that devolves from one side of this argument to the other we have got to maintain our strength on, bo- on both sides of this issue as far as I am concerned. I need to – as soon as someone tries to accuse me of being anti-immigrant or labeling people 
I've got to be able to defend myself because that is absolutely nothing I've ever said. I am as pro-immigration as anybody could be, pro-legal immigration. My problem is with what's crossing the border now with mixed in with the people that are coming here for legitimate asylum are people that are saying they have are entitled to asylum that aren't. The majority of them are. And then the distraction that they cause is bringing in the drugs and the criminals. And we've got to stop it. We should be stopping this as a nation, and we just aren't. We just aren't. Coming up in a moment, there are a couple of propositions uh, that could change things dramatically that I think you need to know about. There are 10 total. I'm going to talk about two of them coming up here in just one moment. Arizona Votes, Election Day 2022 with Mike Broomhead. Thanks for being here. Not only do we have a, a number, I was five statewide elections for in-state jobs, but also the Senate seat that Mark Kelly currently holds. Will he be reelected to the United States Senate? We have 10 ballot initiatives or propositions that could change the com- uh, complexion of, of our state in many different ways. I want to talk about two of them, 130 and 131. Propos- I'm going to start with 131 because I think it's the more critical of the two, um, and it would create the office of lieutenant governor. So uh, in the measure, it would pass. It would assume the role starting in 2026. We do not have, and most of you know this, we don't have a lieutenant governor, which means we do not have two people running as a ticket like we have in the White House. And people think there are pros and cons to this. I'm just going to give you my opinion on it. Um, and it doesn't matter which party it is. We see that the secretary of state is first in line to be governor if the governor cannot or does not complete his or her term. And what we've seen in the past, we had Janet Napolitano, who was – I'm just going back in recent past. Janet Napolitano left in the middle of her second term to take over as Homeland Security Secretary in the Obama administration. So to to the Democrats, it was sad to them that – the Republican, Jan Brewer, became the governor. So they didn't run as a ticket. Opposite parties. And so the argument being from the people that voted for Janet Napolitano, we voted for her because of her uh, – when I say liberal policies, I don't mean that as an insult. Her policies on the left, her democratic views of things. And then because of this, we are getting – a Republican who was on the opposite side politically from that governor. And that's not fair. That's life because, again, Janet Napolitano decided to take that job. When a governor cannot fulfill their term, you get the secretary of state. So as it stands right now, Katie Hobbs is running for the job of governor. But if Governor Ducey were not able to fulfill his term in office or he left for another job or whatever, we would have gotten Katie Hobbs as governor because she's the secretary of state. So then you look at the people that are running for secretary of state and you say, OK, you've got Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs running for governor right now. And you have got um, Mark Fincham and Adrian Fontes running to be secretary of state. So you could see how you could, again, have polar opposites politically filling that office. Now, I'm not calling anybody a bad person. I'm not calling anybody unqualified to do the job. But wouldn't the people of Arizona want to see a ticket? That way you know. So you are electing a governor 
and a lieutenant governor that would have you know specified job, just like the vice president of the United States has a specified job. But they also understand that when you elect this person, you elect Joe Biden, you're you're electing Vice President Harris. So you've got President Biden and Vice President Harris, and if he were to leave the office, she would. You knew ahead of time the people that voted knew she would become president of the United States. That was the role of the vice president that most people see as key. So I think this 131 is – I think it's going to pass pretty easily. That's just my guess because I think all of us want to know that if for those of you out there that are Democrats, you want, would want to know that if Katie Hobbs wins this election – that if she does not fulfill her time in office for whatever reason, you know who her replacement will be. Because you, the scenario could be if Katie Hobbs wins the election for governor and Mark Fincham wins the election for secretary of state, Mr. Fincham becomes first in line or vice versa. If Carrie Lake wins the governor's office and Adrian Fontes wins secretary of state, if Carrie Lake doesn't fulfill her time in office, you we get Adrian Fontes. Wouldn't we much rather, just my opinion, wouldn't we rather know who that replacement would be, what that team would be? And I think the voters in Arizona are going to do this. At least I hope they do. There is another one, very quickly, Prop 130. Uh, Arizona's with, Arizona veterans with disabilities who uh, have not been eligible for property tax exemptions for more than three decades. A proposal on the ballot could change that. I'm just reading from this story. Arizona's will decide on this measure. The state constitution already includes exemptions for each of these groups. And we're talking about tax exemption reduces the value of a person's real estate, thereby decreasing the property taxes they have to pay. The amount of savings depends on several factors. Prop 130 would allow property tax exemptions for veterans with disabilities, people with total and permanent disabilities, widows or widowers, regardless of when they became Arizona residents, through though only one exemption would be allowed per person. So that's what's on the ballot. Here in Arizona, would we say if you're a disabled veteran or you're someone with a severe disability, we are going to exempt you from property taxes? And that one, again, I don't know why it wouldn't pass if you paid property taxes your whole life. You lived in the same place. You paid off your home. Uh, I'm just giving you one of the scenarios. You would be able to live in that home and continue on. And I don't think that that's a bad idea. Uh, to, it would be one more way to ease the financial burden for people on a fixed income. And I think that that would, again, give them a little bit more ease in being able to stretch their dollar a little bit more, especially as difficult as times are right now. So those two ballots initiative are just two of the ten. We're going to cover more of these as the as we sprint to this election, because I think the ballot propositions having an educated view, whether you agree with my stance or not, I want you to kind of know both sides of the issues. Um, what cities in America have begun to do what I was worried about in taking the law into their own hands? I'm going to give you a specific story of where it's happening next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time here. If you haven't subscribed to the show podcast, it's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. It's easy to download, simple to listen. You can listen at your convenience. Never miss a minute of the show. And I want to thank my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley for the sponsorship. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. It's higherprice.com. So I asked the question before break, what community already is saying they're going to take the law into their own hands when it comes to taking back their neighborhoods. 
It is a neighborhood, and I'm not familiar with it because I'm not very familiar with Philadelphia, but people living in the Harrogate neighborhood claim to feel threatened as more than a two-year gun violence wave continues alongside an expanding illegal opioid market. Um, They said that they are – the cops won't help us, so we're going to help ourselves. This has been my biggest concern. Um, Residents – one of the residents said it felt as if the neighborhood had been deserted by the city and uh, and treated like a con- uh, like a contaminant zone along with nearby Kensington neighborhood, according to the Wall Street Journal. Um, Philadelphia managing director uh, Tumar Alexander admitted he can't dispute that feeling but said he can only tell them that from my perspective that is not the case. We're trying as much as we can down there. I have talked about this issue for a long time, and I will continue to talk about it. If we do not, as citizens, hold people that we elect to office accountable to living up to their public safety first, and I I, I want to give you a little caveat. Um, This also goes for fire and rescue because I've had the Phoenix Fire on here talking about how dramatically understaffed they are. So let me just give that little caveat for a moment. Um, A fire, I've been told, doubles in size every 60 seconds. I don't know that to be a true statistic other than it was told to me by someone. But we all understand how fast a fire can spread Uh, or a a critical medical issue. I mentioned before my late late mother-in-law when I was – I'm divorced now. But my mother-in-law when I was married was living with us and had a stroke in the house on the weekend. And it was one of the scariest, most helpless moments. And the fire department, the firehouse was literally a mile from where I lived, maybe – Maybe a mile and a quarter from where I lived. When they pulled out of the firehouse, we could hear the sirens. That's how close they were. It was the longest wait of my life. You have a kitchen fire or something like that happen and you call the fire department. If you're waiting 10 minutes for a response, your house is gone by the time they get there. So let's leave that there for a minute. But this is not exclusive to policing, although this story is about policing. We elect people that always run on public safety first. I can tell you from personal experience in talking to law enforcement. They are always sought out for their endorsement, whether it's AZ Post, which is the the organization that certifies police officers, or it's the Highway Patrol Union, or it's uh, the plea, the Phoenix Police Union, or a multitude of agencies, sergeants and lieutenants associations, whatever it is, whatever city they're in, trying to get the cops and firefighters to endorse them so they can put on a campaign sign, police and fire endorsed. It is significant when you can get that, but they need to be held accountable to make sure that they live up to that. Because here you see, the, the, in my opinion, the worst case scenario, people that are fed up. Now, I have talked often about my neighborhood. I love my neighbors. They're great people. My next door neighbor, Paul and his wife, great people. Um, we think a lot alike. Uh, he's a great guy. She's very friendly. We get along very well. But I also know this. He has the same kind of type A personality that I have, which is I'm not looking for trouble. But if trouble comes looking for me, they're going to get more than they bargained for. I'm very comfortable knowing that when I'm not home, if something were to happen at my home, that my neighbor would look out for my home. I know he would. He's just that kind of a guy. And I would do the same for him or any of our neighbors. When there are people wandering around, you know, you know the difference. We take care of each other. We look out for each other. But I'll call 911. So would Paul. 
But what happens when cops are 10 minutes away, eight minutes away, seven minutes away? You're in these neighborhoods where it feels like the criminals are running the neighborhood and people are locked in their homes. Your kids can't play outside because you're afraid of what might happen to them. Drugs are so around your neighborhood, you're worried that everything you own is going to be stolen the minute you leave your house. And that's the way people are feeling. And it certainly isn't because cops don't have the desire to clean this up. They absolutely do. Number one, they're understaffed. And number two, they don't have the cooperation. And I'm not saying this specifically about Maricopa County because of the race that's going on. Do they have the the confidence and do they have the backing? Do they have the staffing in the prosecutor's office to make sure – that those people are prosecuted. I'm not talking about just the major crimes. I will give you an example. If right now, I hope it never happens, if right now there was someone, well, let them, <laughs> this is a bad example because if you try to get in my house, you're going to meet Kane, my Rottweiler. So you do that. <laughs> Good luck to you if you do that. But let's say there is somebody prowling or trying to break into my vehicle at night or trying to break into my home when I'm not there. And my neighbor calls 911 and that person gets caught and arrested. And they attempted burglary or whatever else. Do they have the staff at the prosecutor's office to make sure that that person understands if you do that in this neighborhood, you're going to get caught, you're going to get punished? Well, I will tell you what happens. If that is the, if that happens, if they're short staff in the county attorney's office and they don't have a reasonable expectation of conviction, they will either plead it down to nothing or drop the charges. Then how do I feel? How does my neighbor that called 911 feel? We could have taken the law into our own hands. A little street justice come prowling around my house find out you know the old saying mess around and find out a little different than mess around but mess around and find out and i don't want to be that person i really don't but if i don't get justice when somebody commits a a a crime against me what do you think is going to happen next time what's happening in philadelphia good hard-working people with families trapped inside their homes because the the drugs and the crime has overtaken the streets and they feel abandoned by the people that are supposed to protect them and i've been talking about this happening around the country for a very long time and it's scary to think because people are going to get hurt Innocent people are going to get hurt. Innocent people trying to do the right thing and protect themselves and their neighbors are going to get hurt. Or what's going to happen is some of these idiots that are out there dealing the drugs and committing the crimes are going to come in contact with the wrong neighbors. They're going to get roughed up and they're going to sue people and their homeowners insurance for taking the law into their own hands. And chances are they might be successful in some cases. It is an upside down world we live in. All the more reason why we should be looking around and saying we need more cops. And to add to this mental picture, this is Philadelphia. You realize that we a few years ago passed Philadelphia in population. We've always been bigger in landmass. We passed them in population. And I say we because I live in Phoenix. We have passed them in population. We are a bigger city than Philadelphia. Our police department is about half the size. And they're having trouble keeping a lid on crime. What do you think it's like for, for Phoenix officers? And I, I talked about my, my time with the gang cops 
the other day and and knowing what they do or fi- I shouldn't say that learning a little bit about what they do because I don't know what they do but learning a little bit and realizing that specialty details like investigators of burglaries that you know property crimes homicide investigators all violent crime investigators gang investigators these people that work in these specialty details with the worst of the worst are being pulled a week at a time or maybe longer than that of their shifts are being pulled back into patrol because of the shortage of officers, which means those officers trained in specialty details to stop those crimes and punish the people that are committing them are out doing patrol work because we don't have enough cops. What does that do to the safety of a city you live in? I don't care which city it is. And that's what we are facing as citizens. And I always end this speech because I give it so often with the question, what kind of city, what kind of state do you want? We have to elect people that live up to their public safety first mantra on their campaign signs. At a minimum, we should be doing that. Coming up in a moment, uh, we are going to talk about four people that should be nominated for worst person of the year. I'll tell you who they are in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. As uh, many of you have heard uh, throughout my time talking about growing up in Southwest Florida, many of you now know the names of the places I grew up in Fort Myers, Florida, Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel and Captiva Islands, Pine Island, Matt Lachey, which I'm very impressed that the media caught on very quickly on how to pronounce Matt Lachey. Because it's spelled Matt Latcha, which is how people normally, um, Bokelia is another one. Uh, Cayo Costa, uh, Upper Captiva, these are all little islands. Some of them don't even exist anymore in reality, have to be rebuilt. And uh, Sheriff Carmine Marcino has been a guest on this show. He is the sheriff of Lee County, and uh, he's also my brother's boss, which made it a dicey interview. My brother was a little nervous about that interview, I think. But we brought, we've brought had Sheriff Marcino on the air before. But I want you to hear this now, this now for me. These four People, and I'm going to keep it civil as I can. These four people that you're about to hear about in a moment um, should be nominated for worst human beings on the planet. Zero tolerance means we will hunt you down, track you down, and you're going to jail if you're lucky. He's talking about looters. He goes on. You go in that house, you're going to be carried out. I want to be very clear about that. We have law and order. We have law and order, and we do. They reminded everybody that we are a Second Amendment state, talking about Floridians. Four suspects busted for allegedly looting in Lee County after the hurricane. Omar Mejia Ortiz, Valerie Celeste Salcedo, uh, Mena, and along with a 20-year-old Brandon uh, Araya and Stephen Eduardo Sanchez Araya were al- arrested for burglarizing a home after the hurricane. Worst people on the planet. Um, this is uh, there is devastation. I've been trying to donate and make and raise awareness if some of you can donate to specific friends of mine that I have literally known since before I was a teenager have lost everything. I have a friend named Matt. 
we were all in this neighborhood called the Villas together. I've talked about being a Villas kid. And uh, his sister, Holly, uh, we went to school together, met each other at 12. Matt lived in a boat in the harbor on the river. And everything is gone. His boat is sunk. All of his personal possessions, everything he owned was on that boat. Gone. I have friends who had a beautiful um, a trailer, but a beautiful home that they you know, manufactured home on the river, uh, pretty far inland, gone. Everything in it, everything they own. I have a friend with the fire department on Fort Myers Beach, home completely gutted, both of his vehicles, gone. And you've got people out there, as human beings would do, uh, as flawed as we can be, would prey upon those. To me, it's incredible. The other thing I wanted to update you on, as they are now starting to get power on in a number of places, my mother arrives this evening. She's going to stay with me until at least the power is back on and some of the you know things return to normal. ATM machines are not being used. You have to pay with everything with a debit card. You can't get cash. So it's a difficult time. So she's coming here. But then questions began to arise about did Lee County wait too long to evacuate? And here's how Governor DeSantis addressed that issue. We should be focusing on lifting people up and stop incessantly talking and trying to cast aspersions on people that were doing the best job they could with imperfect information. And that's absolutely the case. And one, one reporter asked Governor DeSantis um, if Lee County waited too long to give the evacuation order. And, he, and I love the response. I really do like the response. And he said to this reporter, to her, where was the people in your industry? Where were you stationed? He said, were you in Lee County? No, you were in Tampa because the information they had at the time, and I was privy to a little bit of it because I was worried about my family and my brother because he is part of those search and rescue teams that go out. He's a commander over South Lee County, so half the county is his when he's on duty. That He's the commander, working 18 hours a day, and I was worried about my mom and my sister-in-law, my nieces and nephew, and all of my friends, and all indicators until 24 hours before any of this happened, all indicators. Indications were that they were going to be on the backside of the storm where they were going to get a lot of storm, a lot of uh, water. They were going to get a storm surge. But the hurricane was supposed to hit Tampa Bay. Well, they're unpredictable, these storms. And it made that one tick of a turn to the west and went over Fort Myers. The political hatchet job on someone for the way they handle things and saying, you know, to try to go after DeSantis because he might be a presidential candidate or to go after Lee County. It it just it's such a it's such a ill timed political hatchet job. It's despicable, but not as despicable as these four looters. These guys need to go to jail and they should throw away the key on these four people, not just robbing people, but robbing people at such a desperate time in their lives. It's literally picking through what's left of people lives. Disgusting. Just after 10 o'clock, uh, what percentage of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck? There are new statistics out and more about rising fuel prices, not just gas prices, but fuel prices. Next.